Hello and welcome to the Weekend Booktopian. I'm Olivia Frico, Senior Content Producer and Editor of the Booktopian blog, and I will be stepping in today to host today's episode, uh, where we'll be talking about the books we're reading right now, the latest book news, and generally getting up to no good. Joining me today is our Content and Brand Manager, Mark Harding. Hi, Mark. Hi, Liv. Our Social Media Specialist, Nick Wasiliev. Hey, Liv. And our Business Development and Relationship Manager, Scott Whitmore. Hi, Scott. Hi, Liv. Hi, everyone. Welcome. Let's get right into it. So welcome to our guests and, of course, to our lovely listeners. Let's kick off by talking about some big news items that have been hitting the world of books this week. So first up, we have the winner of the International Booker Prize for 2020. Uh, that was announced this morning, with the prize going to The Discomfort of Evening which is a novel that explores the aftermath of grief and loss in a religious dairy farming family uh, that's told from the perspective of a 10-year-old girl named Jazz. Um, it's a debut novel by the Dutch author Marika Lucas Reinveld, and it's been translated by Michelle Hutchison. So have any of us read it? And if so, do we have any thoughts? I, I haven't. <laughs> but I think the, one of the really interesting things about the International Booker is it generally, at least for we English-speaking audiences, presents books that most of us haven't read or perhaps not even heard of because they're all in translation. They're by authors that might be bestsellers in their home countries and markets, but not necessarily known in Australia. And so it introduces us to a whole range of authors, uh, great writers who we might not otherwise discovered. And I think that's the case for the winner today. Uh, I think we'll learn a little bit about Dutch fiction that we didn't know. Um, it took, us, took me by surprise. I, I didn't know it at all. That's interesting that you say that because um, I had a feeling this one was going to win and not just because it was the only one I'd managed to get a proof copy of. Um, but this one was a, a bestseller back in the Netherlands, um, and it won a prestigious uh, prize for debut fiction there as well. Um, so it had a lot of hype, this one, and I just had a funny feeling about it. But um, I've actually read about 25 pages of it. It's pretty good. Um, I want to get stuck back into it this week. Just, 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 just pretty good. <laughs> just, just pretty I good. <laughs> I, it's reminding me of something. Um, I can't quite put my finger on it, but um, I, look, I'm really enjoying it so far. I just haven't gotten far enough in to really make a judgment yet. So far, it's the best book about a uh, fundamentalist grieving uh, farming family in Holland that you've ever read. <laughs> Very true. Well, I will, I will say, I think that uh, you know, anyone who, who wasn't paying attention, because you going off your point of saying it was, wasn't even a bestseller in Holland, they certainly will be after, after it now. No, I was saying it, is, it was a bestseller. Oh, it was a bestseller. Yeah. Well, well, I think even off that, because I, I, I'm seeing here that, that, that both the translator and the author are, are sharing a £50,000 prize. Yeah. This, which is insane. That is a massive prize. Um, so I'm, I'm sh sure that we're likely to see many more kind of books come out of that place. And I, and I think it's awesome because, you know, we're, it's it's similar to, you know, how we look at, at different genres and how different, di like there are different types, types of storytelling that exist within different countries and stuff. And when we actually get the chance to see stuff like that, um, it can actually really lend a new perspective on, on how we view fiction and, and, and also storytelling, even if it's completely bonkers. Yeah, well, this one has a bit of a reputation for being, um, like, a bit disturbing and, like, discomforting, which I'm really looking forward to. Um, I believe that the author, America, is actually the youngest person to ever win the international prize. Uh, they're 29. Wow. And they're also a dairy farmer by day, which is pretty cool. Wow. 
And Liv, does it have a, a local uh, distributor? Is it a local edition that will be easily available? Yes. It's yeah. available now. Um, it's published by Faber and Faber, which is being distributed by Alan and Unwin. Correct. I'm and I believe it. last time I checked, it was in stock. We'll, so we'll, all, we'll all get to know this author, no doubt. We'll look forward to reading that. I hope so. <laughs> so moving on, the next bit of news we have is also really cool and brings us to Alan and Unwin again. Um, the Camilleroy slash... Torres Strait Islander writer, actor, and director Nakia Louie has just launched a brand new imprint with Alan and Unwin. Um, it's called Joan, Joan Press, and after Nakia's grandmother. And it's built as a radical, inclusive, and rebellious imprint that will create space for the voices that have been denied one in traditional publishing. Um, so what do we think? I think this is really cool. Well, I think it's quite rare to, I mean, it's not very often new imprints are launched. For those listening who don't know, when you look on the, the spine of your book down the bottom and there's a little logo, that's the imprint under which a book is published. And many publishers have multiple imprints, but they, they generally stay around for, for years, like Puffin is the children's imprint for Penguin, for example. Uh, Faber and Faber, as you said before, is one imprint that Alan and Unwin uh, distributes. But a new imprint is unusual and one that's Australian and one for outside the square uh, you know, voices that haven't normally been heard. I think that's quite exciting. And I think we'll probably see, knowing Alan and Owen, their commitment to independent publishing, some really interesting titles and Australian titles and ones that will really make us make us think and uh, be great, great, you know, intellectual fodder. So I think it's wonderful. Hmm. Um, yeah, so, and, sorry. Go on, Mark. Go on, Mark. Sorry. Yeah, I was just going to springboard off that um, and just say, I, th I think we often see um, and have seen, especially uh, this year conversations around things like cultural appropriation and who can tell what stories and that kind of conversation has been ongoing and I think one of the issues that the publishing industry has faced uh, is that um, kind of key decision makers within kind of the structures of the industry tend to be very kind of white and and male <laughs> um, and so a move like this um, is a really positive one to kind of help to help to correct that balance and ensure that um, more diverse voices can be can be heard. And I think that's um, that that's really important and um, and it's great to see. Yeah. So um, yeah, my, sorry. I like the after grandmother too. That's that's kind of nice family tradition. The, the the woman who inspired her to to read and reach out. You know, it's nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's amazing. And I understand they're going to be publishing across genres and they're taking open submissions at the moment, I think. Or their submissions box is open. Um, so if you're listening at home and you feel that your voice hasn't been properly represented in traditional publishing and you're looking to publish, I would definitely check this out. This sounds awesome. And finally, in the book news front, we have the 2020 Ned Kelly Award shortlist announced yesterday. Uh, these awards recognise the finest of Australian crime writing each year. Um, it's run by the Australian Crime Writers Association, uh, of which Booktopia is a sponsor, which is awesome. Um, and this category is for best fiction, debut, and true crime, in addition to an international writers category. Um, this year is an interesting mix. It's got authors such as Devlin Tiernan for The Scholar, Christian White, um, who wrote The Wife and the Widow. They're both up for best crime fiction. And nominations for best debut include Susan Hurley, who wrote Eight Lives, uh, R.W.R. McDonald, who wrote The Nancys, and Petronella McGovern, who wrote Six Minutes. Um, it's a really interesting list. Um, have we read much Australian crime fiction this year? And if so, what do we think of these shortlists? 
Um, I've got the scholar um, on my on my e-reader, but very very badly. I haven't read it yet. Even though this has been the year of Dervla, it feels like <laughs> done a lot. Really with have seen her a lot. There's been lots and lots of of, of that book going out the door. And I'm a huge um, I'm a huge fan of hers, despite not quite having having read that book yet. Um, and I think uh, like I'm I'm not surprised by her inclusion. Um, neither with Christian White as well, The Wife and the Widow was a huge book um, and just got some amazing reviews. So I'm not surprised by that. Um, yeah, I, but yes, in all honesty, I haven't really read much, which is a recurring theme on this podcast. Books that <laughs> well, there's a lot of books for us to read. Well, speaking of Dervla McTinn and, you know, talking about the Irish uh, uh, diaspora, you know, she she's Irish, but she now lives in Perth. She's now Australian, so we claim her as our own. Uh, I read her earlier too, but haven't read this this latest one yet. But the also on the list you didn't mention, living in the international crime list, is uh, Adrian McGinty, who's also Irish and we claimed as our own because he lived in Australia for some years, but now he's moved to the States, so uh, he can't keep in one place. His book, The Chain, I read, which was a fantastic uh, thriller, uh, and that's on the short list for the International Crime Book of the Year, even though we think of him as Australian, but he's not really. Um, and that's, that's a great uh, thriller about a, a little girl who's kidnapped and the mother gets a... a a message that unless uh, she she has to pay this huge ransom ransom in Bitcoin and she has to kidnap another child of somebody else's and uh, it's the chain is the chain of kidnapping and each person has to pay this ransom or their child won't be released, uh, which is mm -hmm. quite horrifying, but it grips you from page one and you can't put it down, you read it in one sitting. So I'm glad that's on the list and Kristen White deserves to be on the list too. So it's always great, great value to Ned Kelly uh, shortlist. Mm. Awesome. So I guess we'd probably probably better talk about the books we are actually reading right now. So Mark, why don't you kick us off? What are you reading this week? Okay, cool. So I've got um, two to talk about. Um, I'll start with the one that I've only just started and, I, and I'm not very, very far into yet, but I thought it was worth a mention. So next week, um, I'm doing a podcast interview with Christopher Paolini. Uh, who wrote the Aragon um, book, um, The Inheritance uh, Cycle, I believe it's known as. Anyway, he's written a new book called To Sleep in a Sea of Stars, and it is a, a space opera, science fiction epic. And I have to record a podcast with him in a week, and I knew this was coming up. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll read that book. And I don't know if you, if, if you can see, I don't know whether this is going to go out as a video, but <laughs> it's very big. <laughs> it's like it's almost 900 pages so i've bitten off a little bit more than i can chew here but i'm very pleased that um i picked it up and i started reading it yesterday thinking oh no how am i going to get through this and it is such a fun book like so far like the 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 first 50 pages um just like absolutely grip you and pull you in it's some of the sharpest like um space opera writing that i've read in a long time and i do read a lot of this stuff it reminds me of of people like john scalzi or james s a Corey with his expanse series where like the action just kind of kicks off really really quickly but um basically it's like you know what would you do if you were exploring a desolate planet and you fell into an alien cave and an alien super suit made of dust took over your body Love it. Okay. <laughs> love yeah. it. I've often wondered that myself. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing that I love about this is I've I've got the proof copy, so it's not it's not the final copy yet, but um it's got um maps of like the local uh, star regions, it's got um 
like a hundred pages of appendices at the end um, with kind of all of the all of the technology that they use to to like get between the stars kind of laid out and all of the different cultures on all of the different planets and everything it, it, it's um apparently taken him a decade to write and i think it really really shows in that mm. there's a real level of attention to detail here already that i'm picking up on that um i'm really excited to finish it and i think this is going to be a breeze to finish i'm, I'm definitely it's definitely going to be a good podcast with him next week because i'm nerding out and like one of the things that i really really love as a nerd is that there's all these little easter eggs in it as well um uh, names of characters and places that are clear references to things from Star Trek and Alien and Star Wars and all this other cool stuff. So, uh, so I'm really loving that. So I remember when Aragon came out and it was a runaway bestseller and broke records for the youngest author to have such a bestseller because he was like 17 when he wrote it. Yeah. And so what is he like an old man of what, 20, 28 now or something? How old is he now? Yeah, I, I think now he's he's mid thirties. I think. Oh, he's, is that old? Is that long ago? He ever gone came out? Wow. Yeah, I think so. I think so. He he was born. I I, I was doing some research yesterday, and I I can't remember his exact date of birth, but it was like mid eighties. So that would put him like. On par with you. Shots fired. <laughs> so he's young. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd just like to note that you claimed this was a 900-page book, but there's actually 100 pages of appendices at the back, so really it's 800 pages, and you're exaggerating. Um, <laughs> I'm the kind of nerd who will read the appendices, so <laughs> quiet you. Um, anyway, the second book that I wanted to talk about um, quickly uh, is a book that um, has been on my radar for a little while. Uh, it's a book... Uh, a French novel called Lie With Me by Philippe Besson. I have read that book. Sorry, Scott? Of course you have read that book. It's marvellous. It's so good. It's translated by Molly Ringwald from The Breakfast Club, of all all people. And it's such a beautiful translation. I I cannot tell you how beautifully gorgeous this book is. Um, It just... um, uh, it's, It's this really simple tale of kind of a teenage love affair that has this huge kind of impact on the on the narrator but it's told through the lens of his adulthood so he's looking back on it and it has this kind of melancholy that that melancholy view of youth like comes through really really strongly and it's just an exploration around love and 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 shame and and beauty and and youth and it's just it's just a, a gorgeous book and like I, I I rarely do this, but I've been highlighting passages in it um, as well yeah. because some things just really um, have really stood out to me. And I think it's a real testament not just to the fact that this is a great book, but that um, the translation is just gorgeous. Like the language is beautiful. So um, yeah, Lie with Me by Philippe Besson. I highly recommend it. And it did. It was also a huge bestseller in France and won an award as well. Who knew that Molly Ringwald was such a talented translator? I was that really took me by surprise. It was marvelous translation. I agree, the language was just beautiful. And and this guy's teenage love affair, it's about how it affected the rest of his life and how first love can. Uh, won't do any spoilers by saying what happened, but it, it affects his whole life. And you find out, you know, now he's later in life, uh, you know, how, how it affected him. It's, yeah, just beautifully written. I'm so glad you chose that, Mark. It's, it was a very special book. Hmm. Sounds a bit Julian Barnes-esque, um, which, sounds, which is amazing. 
thanks, Mark. That both yeah, two very great books there. Uh, Nick, what are you reading this week? Um, so I've got two books uh, that I have been kind of diving headfirst into. I've kind of been on a bit of a of a kick lately, and I'm a bit of a one of those readers that if a book doesn't grab me, I'm I, I often check out at the fifty page mark. Um, and so what uh, what I've picked up first is obviously is one that uh, I recently did a review for on the blog, which was The Moonflower Murders uh, by Anthony Horowitz, um, who, and I've been a massive fan of Anthony for years. I mean, I grew up watching uh, Foil's War and read the Alex Ryder series. Um, and, you know, you can he's an, such a fantastically easy-to-read writer. Um, and I really enjoyed uh, this latest version of this latest book, which is a sequel to his book from the 2016. Uh, it's like a sequel to, uh, to Magpie Murders. Um, and it basically follows this character, Susan Ryland. Um, and it's kind of one of those classic whodunits. Is, it's kind of, you know, it reminds me of, it's like a, it feels like a tribute to the golden age of crime. It's like one of those, you, 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 you know, even the, the fact, like in a similar Agatha Christie style, you have all of the characters sitting together with, with a classic reveal of who the murderer is at the end. It's, while it kind of, it, it doesn't necessarily reinvent the wheel when it comes to crime, what it does is it really recognises what makes that actual particular style of crime so effective. And it's really good at it. It's really good at translating it and does it in a way that even though you kind of can see the beats, it just is so entertaining that it's it's impossible not to deny how much fun it is. Um, really great book. Nice. And Anthony was very happy with your review as well. <laughs> yeah, he retweeted it. You made it morning. <laughs> I know. I was like, oh, my goodness, Anthony, you retweeted me? What the hell? How bizarre. But yeah, it's a highly recommended. He's one of the few uh, authors that successfully crossed over from writing children's books to adults' books and been equally popular in both genres, mm. which is you know says a lot about his writing talent too. Yeah, it's just yeah, it's just a very easy writing style. Like it's so easy for the reader to just get enveloped within. It's very, which is a style that I think is is fantastic because it means that you just absorb it and suddenly you look up and you go, oh my god, I've read seventy pages. When did that happen? Jesus. Which was a, but fortunately, this is a really big, long, beautiful, enjoyable book, and I highly recommend it. Um, the second book that I have also had the chance to read, uh, which is one that I've kind of, I, it's been sitting on my to be read pile for a long time, and I have been wanting to pick it up uh, ever since it came out, which is uh, Rutger Bregman's Humankind, um, which dropped in May this year. Um, and it's a book that from the moment I heard the premise was just, okay, this is something I need to check out, which is basically talks about the, where uh, Rutger essentially basically says, examines how within society itself, we basically believe, particularly within Western thought, that human beings are taught by nature, that we are by nature selfish and governed by self-interest, uh, self that we're essentially, uh, you know, greedy individuals. And Rutger actually kind of makes a new argument that people are naturally good, actually naturally kinding people, but that the society that we lives in rewards selfish behaviour. Um, but that we actually, as a species, because we are a naturally social species and that we've been able to get as far as we have through actually working together, that we 
it's not our default nature to be selfish. It's in fact our default nature to be inclusive and kind. And it's a perspective that I have been wanting to, to hear an analysis on for a long time. And I think it's such a fantastically refreshing look at human nature itself. Um, highly recommended, especially in these times where everything seems like that everything that humans are doing right now is just genuinely stupid and bringing out the worst in us. It actually is a bit of a chance to, to take a collective breath and go, well, actually, this is not how we really are sometimes. Um, and it offers up a very fantastic, compelling argument. Hmm. That sounds great. I remember he did it. He answered a Q&A on our blog um, earlier this year. And I remember reading and thinking, this is actually incredible. And it's so nice and refreshing to hear that perspective. Anyway, thanks, Nick. Yeah. Uh, Scott, what have you got for us today? Well, funnily enough, I've been reading a couple of books too. Uh, I've just you don't say. <laughs> <laughs> I've been known to read a book or two. Um, I just <laughs> finished uh, one which is arguably Australia's bestseller in the last couple of weeks. I know it's been going great guns. They've had to hit the reprint button. And that's Eddie Jacku's The Happiest Man in the World. Uh, Eddie Jacku, uh, if you haven't already heard, is a Holocaust survivor who turned 100 years old a couple of months ago. He's hale and hearty. He lives in Sydney. He's the survivor of four concentration camps. He lost not all, but almost all his family through the war. And despite what he went through, it's his philosophy about why he feels he's the happiest man in the world and that friendship and loyalty and uh, family and love are the most important things and despite what he went through, he thinks life's just wonderful and he explains why. While he tells you what happened to him when he um, grew up in Germany, uh, went to study engineering, his father insisted on education. He was kicked out of school because he was Jewish, so his father got false papers for him to be able to study uh, in Switzerland. But sadly, he came back uh, to visit his family just at the wrong time when the Nazis came in and, and arrested everyone and sent them off to concentration camp. And by the skin of his teeth, multiple times, he survived by just happen happening to be uh, on the, a different truck or the, getting out of the, a train or on the wrong train. At one stage asked uh, if he ha anybody had any experience making tools because from the camp they needed uh, in a factory someone to help with tool making and he said I do I've studied tools and engineering and they took him off to uh, to help in this factory and everyone else he was with in that barracks were taken off to the gas chambers that day so multiple times with serendipity he just escaped death and uh, ended up marrying after the war and coming to Australia and as I said he writes about how life is wonderful and how we should view life and be thankful for what we have despite what happened to him and he still uh, when it's not COVID time guides uh, groups of students at the Sydney Jewish Museum and talks about his experiences and did a TED talk uh, last year to thousands and thousands of people at the age of 99 about his experiences. It's a small book. It, uh, it's a very quick read. It's very uplifting. Uh, and you just want to find the man and hug him if we're allowed to hug people, which we're not at the moment, uh, after you finish reading it, because he's just such a beautiful soul and uh, now still living in Sydney and happily talking to press and talking to people about his story because such stories shouldn't be forgotten, but such philosophy should be remembered also. So highly recommend The Happiest Man in the World by Eddie Jacku, J-A-K-U. One question I want to ask is how the hell did you manage to get a copy? Because it has been selling <laughs> like crazy. I've been wanting to get a hand on one of those 
copies for a while, and ever since well, people have been I, able to pick it up, it's been one of the most in-demand books I've seen. Well, I'll tell you how, and I'll share my secret with the listeners. I pre-ordered a copy from this wonderful bookseller called Booktopia, and you can pre-order them before they come out. And that means that on the day they come out, they are dispatched to you. And that's what happened to me before they ran out. And Olivia, I think you can correct me if I'm wrong, but don't we have to, well, we did have autographed copies. I don't know, maybe they're all sold out. I now. think they are sold out. Yeah. Yes. Oh, well, so you can't get the autographed copy anymore. But yes, what I recommend is whenever you hear about a book, and then that's a good segue because the next one I'm about to talk about doesn't come out till next week, but you can pre-order it now so you get it straight away. So that's the way to, to do it, uh, Nick. Order them earlier from Booktopia. Um, so the second one I want to talk about is totally change of pace, although it is also historic in nature. It's called The Governess by Wendy Holden, and it comes out September 1st. And it's historical fiction. It's quite a brick, not quite as big as your brick of, uh, of the Paolini, Mark, but uh, I think it's about 400 pages. And it's based on the story of Marion Crawford, otherwise known as Crawfee, who was the governess to our Queen Elizabeth II and Princess Margaret from the uh, early 1930s all the way through to the late 40s after uh, when... Uh, the Queen got married. And she had a, a tremendous influence on the Queen and Princess Margaret. Uh, she was quite a forward-thinking educator. She was a teacher from Edinburgh uh, when she uh, went into service to be the governess, a teacher for the, the Queen and her sister. Um, at the time, they were just Princess Elizabeth and Margaret of York, and there was no thought of of the Queen ever becoming the Queen because it's uh, before the abdication of uh, the later Duke of Windsor. But she was with the family all through that period. So it covers the story of the abdication and the controversy with Mrs. Simpson and uh, King George VI becoming the King and therefore the Queen being next in line to the throne. Uh, also, all through World War II, the Blitz in London, what happened uh, to uh, Elizabeth and Margaret during the Blitz and the war. Um, then thereafter, when the king prematurely died and Elizabeth became queen, or actually it ends around then, the book, but when uh, uh, she uh, got married to Prince Philip, uh, all the way through, Crawfee was behind the scenes, really part of the family, and she thought of the girls as her own children, and she thought that they should be exposed to real life, uh, not the life of the, inside the palace, but they should experience what every little girl did. So she would take them to excursions to ride the London Tube, which they hadn't ridden before in the 30s. She'd take them to Woolworths to shop for Christmas presents. She'd take them to visit the museum and uh, to the park and started a, a Brownie and Girl Guide troupe uh, that they could be part of to experience what girls did with girl guides. All these normal everyday things that little girls did that previously the princesses didn't because Marion Crawford believed that they should be part of, uh, you know, everyday life and understand everyday life people had. Sadly for Marion, um, she made a big boo-boo. When she retired, she decided to write a book called The Little Princesses about her experience being their governess and her experience living as ancillary part of the family in the palace. And, of course, if you go into royal service, that's a no-no. You don't spill the beans. Even though the book was quite complimentary and nothing negative at all, 
um, they never forgave her for, uh, you know, mm -hmm. revealing private information and the Queen and the royal family never spoke to her again. And even though she thought of them as her children, she never heard from them again after the late 40s. Of course, they were totally unforgiving about her writing this book, which is still available and in print, by the way. Um, so that's a bit sad for her, even though she made that mistake, pushed to do it by her husband that she married after she left service. Um, but there's never really been a biography, biography of hers. Um, but Wendy Holden's done a lot of historical research to bring to life this character who really has shaped the Queen and the rest of her reign and the way she saw uh, uh, her subjects and saw life because Marion made sure that she understood what life for everyday people in Britain was like. So we really probably owe her a lot. It was a very, very interesting story. If you like historical fiction, um, there was probably a little bit made up in there, but mostly it was very true to history about behind the scenes at the palace from the 30s. Uh, for well, 17 years, she was in service with the family. So if you're interested in, in that sort of history, I really recommend it. Even though it's a big book, it was a very quick read. And um, I, I read it pretty much in a few days, didn't want to put it down. So good historical fiction, The Governess by Wendy Holden. Fabulous. Thanks so much, Scott. You're welcome. Oh, all right. That's some excellent books we've been reading there, but it's time to get less civil because it's time for Book Fight. <laughs> uh, so it's time for Book Fight, which is our weekly literary quiz, which definitely is not the source of any interdepartmental office conflict. Um, I'm not going <laughs> to Mark anymore. I'm a very forgiving person. Um, but the quiz is in my hands this week. Basically, pretty much. We've been talking about this for ages. <laughs> the power is in my hands. I don't know. Maybe. Will I be lenient? Will I be cruel? Who knows? You'll be cruel. Yeah. I know. We, know. we know you'll be cruel. <laughs> While I'm deciding what I'm going to do, contestants, please choose your buzzer word. So the word you're going to yell out to let me know that you've got the answer to my question. Uh, all right. I'm, I'm going to say stars. Stars? I've got a massive construction space going on next to me, and apologies to all of our listeners if you can hear me. But going off that, my word shall be jackhammer. <laughs> uh, well, I think I'll have to be the traditional one here, and I'll just say book. How about that? Book. <laughs> all right, all right. Very nice, very nice. So stars, jackhammer, book. All right. <clears throat> so are we ready? All ready. Yes. <laughs> Nervous. <laughs> Don't worry, Nick, you're all fine. All right. For four points, name all four of the main characters in Hanya Yanikari's best selling novel, A Little Light. I've got nothing there. That's tough. Come on, dude. Normally I ask questions about Twilight. <laughs> Mark, I would have thought you'd have read this one. Interesting. Okay. Sorry. Oh, yeah, we have a conversation about that later. Four points up for grabs here. Scott? Yeah. I, I sold lots of copies of that book. I have a copy of my shop at home ready to read, but I haven't read it yet, so I don't know the characters' names. <laughs> Damn, okay. Well, the winning quest answer would have been Jude, Willem, Malcolm, and JB. Interesting. So that's minus four points for Mark. <laughs> All right. Question two. 
Which book won the International Booker Prize in 2019? And for an extra point, name the translator. We're not exactly covering ourselves in glory here, are we, Liv? Really not. You're a tough quiz mistress. <laughs> Don't worry, there'll be easier questions coming. Anybody? The answer was Celestial Bodies by Joe uh, I knew that. I did know that. Yeah. I, was, I, was kind of, I, was, I was getting I was getting mixed up with all the long list ones. I'm sorry. I was like, it's something bodies. <laughs> I something. And the translator was Marilyn Booth. All right. Minus two for Mark. Question three. <laughs> it has just been announced that Kira Knightley will portray the main character in a television adaptation of this best-selling second novel by Sarah Perry. Which novel is that? Nah. <laughs> really? It, what? It had, like, this snake or snake in the title? It did. I want someone to get a point here. Oh, oh, Jackhammer! Is it the, um, the, the Essex Serpent? Yes, it is. Yes! <laughs> hey, I'm on the board. Someone gets a point. Someone gets a point for the snake. Yeah, it, it, I, yeah it, I'll it, give it, you it, half a one for that, Scott. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't have got it without I wouldn't have got it without Scott's pointer. <laughs> Alright, well let's hope if someone gets this one, because now I'm starting to panic. Question four. Who am I? Born on the 18th of February, 1931 in Ohio. I am an American novelist, essayist, book editor, and college professor. Between 1970 and 1987, I published five critically acclaimed novels. I won a Pulitzer Prize in 1988. Jack Hammer. Yes. John Steinbeck. No. Oh, devastating. <laughs> I won a Pulitzer Prize in 1988. And in 1993, I became the first African-American woman to win a Nobel Prize. And I passed away last year on the 5th of August. Oh. Was it... Uh, um, Tony I need Morrison. to hear the word book. Tony Mo I said book first. Tony yeah, yeah, you said book. Tony Morrison, is that your answer? Yes. You are correct. Yay. Yes. I, I thought if I didn't get one right, point. you'd never ask me back for the podcast. I'm so glad I've redeemed myself. <laughs> I know something about books. <laughs> I'm reevaluating the entire way that I'm writing these questions in the future. Um, for an extra point, can you name the novel that Tony won the Pulitzer for? Um, it wasn't jazz. Uh, nope. <laughs> uh, I've gone, gone blank. Um, gone blank. Can't, can't do it. Anyone else? Was, I, so, did, she do, did she do Songs of Solomon? Was that her? She did, that's, but that's not that she got the Pulitzer for. That's not the answer? Uh, no. She won the Pulitzer for Beloved. Beloved, thank you. Tip of my Beloved. Tongue. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, quick score check. This is abysmal, guys. Mark is on minus six points. <laughs> on one. And Scott, you are edging out ahead and one and a half points. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. This I'm is not so a quiz for the faint-hearted. <laughs> Don't worry. I think the next two, at least, 
It's going to be easy. I'm really regretting my last question because none of you are going to get it. <laughs> I just I just want right, to point out, Liv, that when you've been a participant in the quiz and I've been asking the questions, I've asked so many questions about the Brontes. <laughs> just for you. Well, I thought you'd read A Little Life, so I was going to give you four points and then you let me down. I swear we'd had a conversation about it. Anyway, question five. Christos Chalkis' latest novel, Damascus, follows the story of which major figure from the Bible? Jack Hammer. Nick. It'd be Saul or Paul would be the answer. Well done, Nick. Woohoo. Woohoo. Okay. Right. Question the six. What is the significance of the title of Ray Bradbury's classic novel, Fahrenheit 451? Oh, stars. Yes, Mark? Uh, that is the temperature that um, paper burns at. Right? Uh, yeah, that's that would put you at minus five now. Well done, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> I'm being mean. All right, I'm gonna cross off your minus point. So now the score, um, no, as we no, reach no, this last, Liv, it's okay. that I none of you are gonna it. get. I do deserve it. You do. You really do. <laughs> you, none of you are gonna get this last question. I'm really regretting asking it now. <laughs> I actually, I might change it because, and then have the last question as a bonus round because that is my want. Right. Question seven. Um, what was the name of the first novel that Stephen King ever published? Oh, uh, stars. Yep. Uh, Carrie. Sure is. Ooh. All right. I'm, I'm going to ask this question. It is a Charlotte Bronte question. And One the, the score as <laughs> <laughs> I just want to know if anyone is as nerdy as I am when it comes to the history of the Brontes. Um, but the score at the moment is Mark and Nick are on two, and Scott is on one and a half. Oh. I can't ask this question because it's not no one's going to get it. Um, all right. Okay. Kate Bush. Well, Bronte was so quite bonus round. For all of you nerds listening at home, um, Charlotte Bronte was a prolific writer of juvenilia, so novellas which she wrote as a young teenager with her siblings that were set in a fictional world called Angria. Um, what was the name of the hero featured in many of her stories? Or which character did this character go on to inspire? Does that make sense? <laughs> um. I'm just going to go out on a limb and get the most obvious one out of the way. Jack Hammer. It's not Mr. Darcy, is it? No, that's not her. That's Jane Austen. That's oh, Jane Austen. God. Sugar. Oh, no. I'm, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm having a, I'm having a... That is minus a point for you. <laughs> like I said, I'm buggered. <laughs> well, book, I, I could take a guess and say the obvious Bronte one is it went on to inspire Jane Eyre. Mm-hmm. But which character in Jane Eyre? Oh. Jack Hammer, Jane Eyre. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> this is the worst quiz I think we've ever had on the show. And I feel <laughs> Maybe we should re-record, start again. <laughs> With the same questions and we'll still get them wrong. <laughs> okay, um, the correct Mastermind with the Brontes as your special subject, I think. I don't even think I know that much about them. I just read an autobiography of Charlotte Bronte last year. Oh, not autobiography, a biography. 
she, Charlotte Bronte is dead. Um, anyway, the answer to that question is the Duke of Zamora, who went on to inspire the character of Edward Rochester in Jane Eyre. Of there course! You there you go. Now, we've all had some learning here today. Well, hopefully anyway, the important thing is is that all the listeners learned about some great new books to read. That's the important thing for people to learn. Maybe the real weekend booktopian was the friends we made along the way. <laughs> That's right. I cannot believe this. I think but I at think, the end of I it... Think, I think the lesson that we learned is that... Um, never let Liv post Mark's the weekend booktopian again? A little bit more. Hmm? I, I, I just said I think the lesson we learned is that everybody should appreciate Mark's quiz hosting a little bit more and <laughs> few, fewer complaints in the future, please. Yeah. It, I will so die if I can't complain 24-7. You, you know this. <laughs> Mark, you're gonna be you have to be very nice to me because at the end of our terrible quiz, the score, the score is Nick is on one point, Scott is on one and a half, and Mark is edged ahead with two points. Yes, a rigged quiz, and I still beat you both. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was extremely competitive of me. I apologize. <laughs> Well, look, if, 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 it, if it helps, I was on two points. You could have just asked an easier question. <laughs> no one's feeling more shame than I right now, but I can also take zero criticism right now. I'm feeling very, very vulnerable. <laughs> that was great. Thanks, Liv. <laughs> Anytime. At least, you, at least you take confidence from the fact that you won't have to listen to it again. I've got to edit it. <laughs> <laughs> this is getting very... This isn't, this isn't going live anyway. <laughs> I'm going to be so smug about this, you guys. So oh, <laughs> we've given him ammo. Oh, no. All right. I just wanted you to know, Scott, that I wanted you to win. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I, I'm, I'm glad that Mark did because I always think that it's good for him to have a win sometimes, and it doesn't happen very often. So. <laughs> <laughs> so true, though. <laughs> Anyway, that's it for this week's episode of the Weekend Booktopian. Thanks for joining me today, Mark, Nick, and Scott. And if you're still listening at home, I don't know how you would be, but like, thank you for sticking around. Um, if any of the books featured in this episode take your fancy, you can find them online at booktopia.com.au. Um, so thanks, guys. Thank you. Been thank great. You. Thank you. Stay safe, have a great weekend, and never stop reading. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Booktopia podcast channel. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes for free and get access to hundreds of author discussions, book analysis pieces and more. Or if your eyes need a workout, head to Booktopia TV on YouTube. Don't forget, for all books featured in this podcast and for access to a whole bunch of other fun content on our blog, head to Booktopia. Australia's local bookstore at booktopia.com.au Yay. Yay. <laughs> oh my goodness. Never let Liv host anything ever again. <laughs> well done, you.
Oh no, I'm, I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna live that down. I cannot believe I got Jane Austen and Charlotte Bronte mixed up. That is, uh, especially because Bronte was not an Austen fan. No, I know, I know. The, the look on your face, you're going to eviscerate me forever now. <laughs>